Good morning, Hope Church. Really good to be with you. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, I want to thank you that you tell us about what the future holds and you help us to prepare and to get ready. And Lord, I pray that as we look at what you're saying to this next church, that you would help us to take a hold of your truth. Give us faith, give us strength, give us wisdom, but more than anything, fill us with the spirit and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is our third session on seven churches in Revelation. Uh, and today we look uh, at the second letter in the book of Revelation. This one is addressed to Smyrna and you can find it in Revelation 2, verse 8 to 11. So we now leave Ephesus and we travel 40 miles north on our route around the seven churches. This brings us to the city of Smyrna. Smyrna is now the city of Izmir in modern day Turkey. If you look at a map, you will find it. Smyrna was known for its beauty. At some point before Jesus, the city was destroyed and completely rebuilt. It is some 3000 years old. And although the name has changed, it has had people live in it continually over this period. It was the city that was chosen to build the Emperor Tiberius's temple. It was a very patriotic city. Not only did it become temple warden to the emperor, but it was dedicated to Emperors Titus, Domitian, and it had statues of Domitian, Trajan and Hadrian. As you can see, it was a city devoted to the emperor. The city had around 100,000 inhabitants and it also had a Jewish presence. In the second century, these Jews participated in the martyrdom of Polycarp. Polycarp was an early church father. He lived around 80 to 160 AD and he became the bishop of Smyrna. He was martyred at the age of 86 for refusing to recant. So you're beginning to get an idea of the challenges that this church faced. Smyrna was a seaport similar to Ephesus and Smyrna excelled in me uh, medicine and science. Let's read the letter. It's Revelation 2, 8 to 11, and I'm reading from the NCV. Write this to the angel of the church in Smyrna. The one who is the first and the last who died and came to life again says this. I know your troubles and that you are poor, but really you are rich. I know the bad things some people say about you. They say they are Jews, but they are not true Jews. They are a synagogue that belongs to Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but be faithful, even if you have to die, and I will give you the crown of life. Everyone who has ears should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Those who win the victory will not be hurt by the second death. Now, Smyrna is not the situation in the UK yet. Smyrna was a church under persecution. Its effect, the effect of persecution, brought poverty to Christians. Persecution came particularly at the hands of the Jews, 
Uh, this may have been because the Jews were exempt from worshipping the emperor because they were monotheistic and Christians who also believed in the God that Judaism followed but obviously focusing on Jesus also benefited from that exemption. However, the Jews were not happy about this and they made sharp distinctions between themselves and Christians. There is an aside here, an important aside. Often when we're thinking or talking about persecution, we think it's non-Christians or anti-Christian men and women that do the persecuting. History shows that it usually isn't that group of people. They may be involved, but normally it isn't them. Jesus, if you remember, was crucified because of the religious Jewish leaders in the day that he lived. Think about it for a moment. Those who read the Old Testament scriptures every Sabbath, who were its guardians, its teachers, and most familiar with it, killed the very one that they were waiting for. In Smyrna, Jesus calls the Jews there a synagogue of Satan. Now, please hear me correctly. This is not a dig at the Jewish people, but it's a highlight that those who claim to represent God can inadvertently persecute God's people. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 9 to 14, Then people will arrest you, hand you over to be hurt and kill you. They will hate you because you believe in me. At that time, many will lose their faith and they will turn against each other and hate each other. Just think about that. Those that we fellowship with, persecution at the hands of the people that we were once in church with who turn away from the faith become the persecutors of those who follow Jesus. What a challenge for us in these last days. Now, every letter finishes with the same refrain. Revelation 2.7, every person who has ears should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. We need to listen to what Jesus is saying, even if it isn't positive blessing all the time. Sadly, our Western Christianity is unbalanced. The people seem only to want to hear about grace and blessing. So how does Jesus speak to the persecuted church? He reminds them, first of all, who they are serving. He tells them this. He is the beginning and the end. He died, but he came back to life. Why is he saying that? Jesus created the world and he will wrap it up. God spoke the first words that brought us into being and he will speak the last words of reward and judgment. Our perspective must not be, um, sorry, our perspective must be eternal and not temporal. Jesus also died, but he also rose to life. Those of us who die in Christ will rise to life with him. Not the same life as life on earth, but life eternal with Christ in heaven, a far more glorious life than is ever possible on earth. Here too in this letter, as the same as the letter in Ephesus, Jesus uses the phrase, I know. Again, Jesus wants the church to know that he knows. He knows their troubles and the suffering that it is causing. What's causing the suffering? Gossip and slander because of their lifestyle. People saying bad things about Christians. 
In Smyrna, they were saying the Christians were cannibals because they celebrated the breaking of bread. They were accused of having sexual orgies because they were having love feasts. It highlights an important point for all churches. Following Christ, remaining faithful to Jesus, brought this church into persecution. When you do not join in with the local culture around you, you will be persecuted. When you live differently, you will be hated. This raises a big question. Why is there so little persecution in the Western church? Well, I'll leave you to ponder that one. So how does Jesus respond to the suffering of believers in Smyrna? Let me start by saying that suffering in God always has a purpose. Craig Keener in his commentary on Revelation says this, Suffering has a way of reminding us which things in life really matter, forcing us to depend radically on God and thus purifying our obedience to God's will. So, so does Jesus say to the church that Satan is behind the persecution? Yes, he does. Does he say, rebuke the devil and claim your victory? No, he doesn't. He doesn't tell the believers that the suffering will immediately go away. There has been some false teaching in the church to do with this. You'll have heard of the health, wealth and prosperity gospel, and it is not biblical. It isn't godly, it doesn't come from the Bible, and it doesn't come from Jesus. It has no response to suffering apart from accusing those of having a lack of faith. It's interesting that the role of the accuser of the believers is always attributed to Satan. Why am I being harsh on such teaching? Because it focuses on everything that Jesus tells us not to focus on too. It wants to focus on money and wealth and health, and yet we are told by Jesus to focus on his kingdom. And our journey on earth will include suffering. Jesus acknowledges the suffering of the Smyrnian believers. He tells the believers not to fear persecution. Remember that these are the words of Jesus, the one who suffered more than anybody else. He knows. Jesus tells the believers what is going to happen. Satan will have them thrown in prison. Some may even be killed. For us in the West, this is a hard teaching. Why? Because it is foreign to our experience. To the Eastern and Asian church, this is a fact of everyday life. Jesus encourages them to be faithful. Craig Keener states, the duration of their detention might include torture in an attempt to secure information against others. The very knowledge that imprisonment could include such torture demands faithfulness. If they remain faithful, they will get the crown of life. What is it that would cause a believer to remain faithful even to death? Well, firstly, we need to remember that there is a second death. These letters to the churches are part of a larger work by John, which is the complete book of Revelation, a book that deals with what is going to happen to the world, especially leading up towards the end when Jesus returns. 
This is what Revelation has to say about the second death. Revelation 20 verse 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and the one who was sitting on it. Earth and sky ran away from him and disappeared. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Then books were opened and the book of life was opened. The dead were judged by what they had done, which was written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. Each person was judged by what he had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now the verse before it says this about the lake of fire. This is verse 10 of chapter 20. And Satan who tricked them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur with the beast and the false prophet. They will be punished day and night forever and ever. This second death is hell. It is not a place that you want to go. Eternal fire for all who practiced evil and lived wickedly. Rescue from the second death is only possible by faith in Jesus Christ. Why? 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 tells us. There is one God and one mediator so that human beings can reach God. That way is through Christ Jesus who is himself human. So the first reason why people would be faithful unto death is that they will not experience going to hell. Secondly, there is a reward for everyone who remains faithful. Here in the letter to Smyrna, Jesus says it's the crown of life. To the church in Ephesus, Jesus said, I will give the right to eat the fruit from the tree of life, which is in the garden of God. If you read through particularly Revelation, you will see just how many rewards there are for being faithful and true to Jesus. As I conclude this morning, we have seen two different letters so far. I must emphasize that these letters are from Jesus himself. They are his words. In Ephesus, the church needed to restore their love. Here in Smyrna, they needed to withstand persecution. We are not yet a nation where the church needs to withstand persecution. But if you read the rest of the book of Revelation, and I would encourage you to do so, one thing is very clear. It is coming. A reading of the news and a watching of news media says it is coming. I'm not saying this to be alarmist but because I want you to be strong. I don't want you to be fearful. In fact, the very opposite. I want you to be faithful. I want you to be faithful to Jesus and I want you to be full of faith in your everyday life. But I say these things because it is coming. Sticking our head in the sand will not change this. But knowing this, we can prepare. Knowing this, we can be forearmed. Craig Keener says this, the threat of death, though only realized among the Asian churches occasionally so far, proved genuine over the following centuries. It is too easy for North American Christians and take uh, British Christians as well, to pass over such texts as irrelevant to the challenges most of us currently face, especially for middle-class believers in the suburbs. 
But we need only to ask some hypothetical what if questions to bring the matter closer to home. The martyrdom of our brothers and sisters in the past as well as many lo as, as well as many in other locations in the present must challenge us to count the cost. How much is Jesus worth to us? Craig then encourages, encourages us with these words. If we have not prepared ourselves and our congregations to die for Christ's name if necessary, we have not completed our responsibility of preparing disciples. Like Daniel and his friends, we prepare best for more strenuous future tests by passing the ones we are given in the present. But when we remain faithful in the face of rejection and persecution, Jesus promises us a reward far greater than the power and status our oppressors now enjoy. And so the challenge of this letter is, are we ready? Are we ready and willing to face persecution when it comes? Not if it comes, when it comes. That's the challenge that we face today. And it's one, I know this is a difficult one, but this is part of scripture. This is part of Jesus' teaching. And here's the greatest encouragement in all of this. Jesus said, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you speak the truth. I want to thank you that you do not hide things from us, but you tell us what is going to happen. We've had this book of Revelation and it clearly teaches about what is going to happen. And Lord, what we shudder to think of the pain and suffering that is coming upon the world. And yet in the midst of that, it causes us to pray, to ask you for mercy, to ask you to uh, strengthen us as the people of God. And Lord, we thank you that you are with us. You do not leave us alone. You fill us with your spirit. You give us boldness and faith. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would help us. And Father, I want to pray especially today for the persecuted church. There are believers today where this letter isn't something in the future, but this letter is happening right now in their experience. And Lord, we ask, would you supply their need? Lord, as with this letter, you reminded them that you are the beginning and the end, that you are with them. Lord, we pray, would they know your support and your strength? And so, Lord, we pray, bless the church in persecuted nations, strengthen them, provide for them. And Lord, give them a way through, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Have a really great day.